Hey everyone, I'm joined on stage today by, oh, there they go. <laughs> uh, how's the church this morning? Good. A few days ago I was uh, in a medical facility in a waiting room. It was actually an elevator lobby, but there was a chair and a good view, so to me it was a waiting room. And uh, I spent a lot of time in places like that. And I was working on this sermon, actually, and so it will probably make sense, as you see in the moments ahead. Uh, I got to thinking about waiting while I was waiting. And uh, all of the places that we have to wait. We wait, of course, for nurses, doctors, and dentists, planes, trains, and buses, stoplights, stop signs, and traffic jams. We spend a lot of time waiting in lines, standing in lines at banks and stores, drive-thrus, movies, concerts, and sporting events. I think it's kind of funny that we wait through commercials for our favorite TV show, and then we turn around and wait through the Super Bowl for our favorite commercials. We are all waiting. I think I have this right. I'm not sure. I think we're waiting for Star Wars 8. Is that correct? We're wait. Okay, I, I have an affirmative. We're waiting for Star Wars 8 and Star Trek, I don't even know, 142 or something. Mail to come. We wait for that. We wait for the garbage to go. And here at Gateway, we wait for worship services to start and sermons to be over. Someone, I have no idea how they did it, but they estimated that collectively as Americans, just Americans, mind you, we spend every year altogether 37 billion hours waiting in line, waiting in line. I don't know how people figured that, but anyway, that's what someone believes. Altogether, 37 billion hours hours a year in lines. You know, with all of that practice, you would think we'd be good at it, wouldn't you? Are you good at waiting? Last night I heard audible no's, but so you're doing better because you're not sure. We need to be good at waiting. In fact, the Bible expects us to be good at waiting. I got a bonus verse here. It's not even from the book of Luke, Philippians chapter 3. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We need to be good at waiting. Now, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is describing life for us as his disciples. What are some of the things about our lives that should be in place when we're following him as our Lord and our Savior? Last week, Pastor Bob uh, talked about fears that we have as we follow Christ, the opportunity to handle our fears. And we all have them. It's natural living in this world to have fears, but to handle them in a different way. If we follow Christ, we can move from managing our own life to entrusting our fears and the things of our lives to, to a loving, caring God. And today in our passage, Jesus continues to define how to approach life, but with a very unique aspect. That is, how do you live life as his disciple between his first coming and his second coming? I'm going to skip ahead a few verses in our passage when he says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus has this expectation for his followers that we would live 
our lives would be marked by a sense of readiness. Now, what does it mean to be ready for his coming? When we look at the parables, excuse me, when we look at the parables that uh, he tells today, we might think it involves, you know, staying up all night or staring into the sky all day. Maybe you have uh, in the past thought it, it really was important for you to study the book of Revelation, and that's a good thing, but to be able to decode it and understand it all or to go to prophecy conferences or to be able to uh, watch the current events in Israel and know what they all mean. Well, today in this passage, Jesus really makes it simple. He talks about being ready. Verse 35. Be dressed, he says, ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Now, it's tempting to uh, see some of the details in this story. Oh, there's lamps and doors and, and uh, being dressed and all kinds of biblical metaphors and, and launch off on those. But we wouldn't want to miss the point. And the point really is, is so obvious. Jesus has used a, a parable that was just very simply familiar to the people he was speaking to. There were people in that culture who were masters and they had servants and the relationship and what happened between them was really obvious. Jesus is telling us that to be ready is to live as a servant, to live in the same way that a servant does, a sense of anticipation or preparation that that we often think of waiting as a very passive thing and Jesus describes it as a very active thing. To To be ready is to live the way a servant lives, focused on the desires of one's master. You see, if you live with a desire to to do what God wants you to do, I think you're living ready. I think you're living with the kind of readiness that Jesus wants. So there's a sermon. That's it. But Jesus gives us some motivation. I think he wants to encourage us. He wants to implore us about the importance of approaching life in this way as a servant. Here's the first motive, and that is that you can't plan to be ready. You can't uh, approach life and, and do your stuff and say, well, later, you know, when I'm older, I'll, be, I'll try and get ready, you know. I'll do this now, and I'll pay attention to God later. And Jesus is telling us, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't plan to be ready. You need to be ready. You need to live in a state of readiness. Back to the parable. He says it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, well, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus says, I dare you. You name the date, the time I'm coming. You're going to be wrong. And all the books that are published, they've been wrong. You, you don't know when I'm coming. And that's not the point. The point isn't for you to figure out when I'm coming. The point is for you to be ready for my coming. Because you're not going to know when it's going to happen. 
He's told a, a, familiar, a couple familiar parables here. Things that, uh, that were very um, attainable or understandable for his audience. In fact, the first one was about a, a master going to a wedding. And you may be familiar with this about first century weddings. Never been to one myself, but I've heard. They were unpredictable. Apparently, they could go on for hours or days or a week. And so here's the picture. A master goes to a wedding. And what are the servants expecting? He'll be back. Don't know when. The question is, will they be ready, right? It was not something you could time. And Jesus mentions that, that a master could come back at the, in the middle of the night. That was literally the second watch, a time frame we think is, is probably from midnight to three. So in other words, he might be kind of late, kind of after curfew, you know? Or it might be really early, toward the, toward the daytime, the third watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I don't really consider 3 a.m. close to dawn, but, you know, there it is, the third watch. And you don't know. And the point is really, really obvious, isn't it? You can't plan the timing. It's a little bit like a, a thief coming. You can't plan for that. Nobody knows, right, that the thief is going to come at 2.45, If you did, you'd set your alarm for 2.15, call the police, make them some coffee. They'd show up at 2.30, give them some coffee. They arrest the guy at 2.45, you're back at bed at 2.50. What's the big deal? It doesn't work that way, and it won't work that way with my coming. You can't plan later to be ready. You must live ready. You've got to live ready. I think for, for Jesus... Delayed devotion is, is no devotion at all. I was thinking about this. What are, what are some things that, that real servants wouldn't say if they really understood who Jesus was? Real servants don't say to Jesus, Oh, well, Jesus, I'll be generous after I have more money. I'll learn to be generous after I get a better job or pay off the house or the kids are grown. Real servants don't say to Jesus, You know, I'll tell my friend about you after I know more about the Bible, after I can answer all of her questions, after I gain some confidence. Real servants don't say, Jesus, I'll, I'll commit myself to, to the work of your church after I can clear my schedule a bit or after basketball season is over or after I finish school. They don't say, Jesus, I'll, I'll obey you after you answer my prayers, after I grow up, after I'm sure this is going to be good for me. Delayed devotion is no devotion at all. So Jesus says, live as a servant today because you can't plan to do it later, right? Now, when I think about, uh, about all of us here in this room and then collectively, all the details that might be involved in us serving the Lord Jesus today. Well, he might be directing us in so many different ways and, and, and individuals' lives and things to do and not do and all this kind of stuff. It's way beyond me. I couldn't direct you all, right? But Jesus can do it. He can direct us all. We could, we could all serve him, and it, it evolves a lot. But let me say that, for my mind, I have to have it simple, and I, I would boil it down to just one thing. If every day you sincerely turn to Jesus and say, what do you want me to do today? I think that's what a servant does. And I think if every day, 
it, it won't matter whether he comes on March 28th or, or October 9th or, or December 4th. If every day you're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? I think you'll be ready. I think you'll be ready. Jesus was really, really clear. It will be very good for a servant who is doing what his master wants when he shows up. So every day, what do you want me to do today? That's a servant that Jesus can trust. Here's another motive. That would be that serving moves you toward blessing. It moves you toward blessing. Because we do a lot of waiting, but not all kinds of waiting equals ready, readiness, right? Not all waiting is, is ready. I was thinking about a different situation. I was, again, uh, at, at the hospital, but I was actually thinking about the airport because I could see some planes going by and thought about waiting at the airport. Everyone at the airport is waiting. Now, I love airports, so I don't mind waiting at an airport because it means I'm going somewhere, and that's kind of fun. So it's, it's probably my favorite place to wait, right? But not everyone at an airport who's waiting is ready, now, a lot of people are. I was thinking about being at a gate, and uh, you know how everyone's at the gate, and, you know, it's still a ways off. But as soon as there's a gate agent, and, and he or she just even picks up the little intercom thing, you know, and lifts it to the mouth, what does everyone do? We, we, we press towards the gate, right? Like, let me on the plane. I want on. Let me be first. Because we all know the first one there gets to arrive first. I don't know why we do it, but we're, see, we're waiting and we're ready. But then there's another kind of person in the airport, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some good reasons why this happens, but that other person, you don't see them at the gate, you only hear about them, right? Uh, Mr. Pruitt, please uh, come to the podium at gate C14. Mr. Pruitt to the gate at C14. Nothing. Don't see him. You never see him. How does that happen? You know, and you're still getting on the plane and you're still hearing that name called, right? At the airport, waiting but not ready. I was imagining, you know, that's just like one of my worst nightmares. I I don't want to be there, right? I want to be waiting and ready. But how does it happen? I had this, I don't know, crazy idea. Maybe it happens when when someone's waiting but, but they're not quite, figured out how to be ready, and they're like, oh, coffee. (laughs) I'll get a coffee. And they get their coffee, and they come out of the coffee, and they see next door is uh, the newsstand. Oh, magazines, long flight. I think I'll get a magazine. They get a magazine. They they get their magazine and their coffee, and they see, oh, bathroom. That's a good idea, because, you know, on the plane, they only have those two-foot-by-two-foot aluminum outhouses five miles in the sky. I don't think so. So bathroom, right? That's a good idea. And you come out of the bathroom, and you're like, I smell French fries. That sounds really good. And all of a sudden, I'm over here at gate C1, right? I can't even hear my name being called at gate C14. There are two kinds of people. I think Jesus is going to tell us now there are two categories of people at his return. Some people have been using their lives to move to a place of blessing, and some people have been moving towards a place of punishment. Now, Peter's confused. I think all the disciples are confused. Jesus is talking about being ready for his coming, and they're looking at him. (laughs) You have to think about that for a moment. They're, they're like, 
living between his first coming and the second coming, what are you talking about? So already that's a little confusing. But Jesus has to do some teaching, right? He's got to lay all this down. He can't save it all till after the cross. So he's, he's teaching about that. That's confusing. There's some other things probably confusing to Peter. He says, Lord, are you ta- telling this parable to us or to everyone? And Jesus doesn't really answer, which ah, drives me. I'm glad I wasn't there. You know, it would have driven me nuts. Like, wait, stop. Stop telling stories. Answer his question. But he, is, he, he does answer it. Not a direct answer. He tells another parable. And I think what his answer is, well, I'm, I'm speaking to everyone. I'm speaking to two groups of people. But here's the reality. Only one group of people is going to be able to take advantage of what I'm teaching. You really want to be in that group. You really want to be in that group. He goes on. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? He says, it will be good, you get used to this phrase after a while, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Right? All his possessions. A faithful servant, Jesus says, is is always rewarded, is given more privilege. Now, remember, this is a parable, right? So it's kind of hard to translate this story, which was about earthly masters and servants, into a heavenly or an eternal perspective. And, and what does that mean, Jesus, about you as master and us as servants? You've got to be careful. It's a parable. But I think at the, at the very least, you could pull out of it some, some sense of honor, of privilege, maybe a, a sense of authority in his kingdom. And, and at At the very least, the bottom line, here's one thing you should think. That is that whatever Jesus has in mind, it's far greater than whatever happened with an earthly master and his servants. (laughs) He's got something way better in mind. He goes on. But on the other hand, that's one group of, that's one kind of person. But suppose the servant says to himself, now hold on because he really goes off the rails here. My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. It's really... The master of that servant, he says, will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Harsh, isn't it? But here's what he's saying is this is actually no servant at all. This is not this is not a servant. This person and what he has done is he's using his life to move towards a place of punishment rather than blessing. And Jesus point is make sure that you go in the direction that I've designed for you that I want you to go. You, you, you shouldn't be confused or deluded to think that, that you could just spend your life and then try and make things different or right. It doesn't work that way. Judges don't put up with that. I kind of had that, that reminded to me in a, in a way a couple weeks ago. I was on jury duty the week before last. And uh, I, I was waiting all week. I was waiting all week thinking about this sermon like, ooh, jury duty great. (laughs) 
But uh, I got to Wednesday, and I'd gotten long enough now I'd called in and hadn't been to have to go, you know. And I thought, I must be in the, the, the special list that's pastors, law enforcement, and ex-military or something. You know, it's like, we don't pull these guys out unless we're really desperate, you know, because they're not going to make it on a jury or something. I don't know. But anyway, I got called in Thursday morning, go in. Got there at 10 after 8. They said, well, we'll start at 8.30. Nothing happens. We're waiting. 8.45, someone makes kind of half of an announcement and then says, just hold tight. We're still waiting for some emails from the courtroom. All right. 9 o'clock, still nothing. No announcements. After 9, the judge walks in. Strange, I thought. The judge walks in with his robe over his arm. I thought that was kind of strange, too. And he starts telling us about this man in Vancouver who assaulted some people at a soup kitchen. And I'm thinking, I don't, whoa, did he lose track? I don't think this is right. I'm not supposed to be hearing this. I don't think the judge is supposed to tell us evidence. Like, oh no, something's gone wrong. It never happens this way on TV. What's happening? I've never seen this. And the judge tells us this man, uh, had, had assaulted some people, and so he was going to be charged with disorderly conduct and given 10 days in jail, and he didn't like that. So he was charged with assault four with the risk of 40 days in jail. And the judge told us he'd been worried about this situation all along, partly because he had some friends who'd been trying to intimidate the prosecutor in some way or another, and that he just felt strange about this case, and he kept pressing the attorneys, are we really going to trial? Are we really going to trial? And the night before, they said we're going to trial. And then that morning, part of the reason we were waiting is the fr- the, this man's friends showed up in the courtroom, and they were causing a stir, and he said we had to have a bunch of deputies in to get him out of the courtroom before we could bring all of you into the courtroom. And at the last minute, the man says, ah, forget it, I'll just plead guilty. And the judge said, fine, you're guilty, 60 days. Like, stop messing with my courtroom. Stop trying to play like you can be in control of this thing. He said, 60 days. And the man said, no, no, that's not fair. I want my trial. And the judge said, go to jail. And he came and told us the story and said, thank you very much, you're done. Judges don't put up with us trying to change things at the end. They're the judge. And Jesus says, it's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. He says, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does does things just deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Fascinating parable here. Remember, this is a parable. Be careful in forming your theology, but it's fascinating, isn't it? Apparently, I think Jesus is saying, you know, not all rewards are the same and not all punishments are the same. And and here's the bottom line. Here's what I think it is fair to say that Jesus is illustrating with this story. God's justice in the final conclusion will be absolutely accurate and fair and deserved. There's no, oh, wait, wait, no, 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 I want a jury trial. 
God is precise, and he is true, and he is fair, and he is just. Now, I think it's very interesting what Jesus doesn't do in this situation as he talks about, well, you know, not all rewards are the same. Not all punishments are the same. Kind of depends on what you, how, you, how you do, what you do with what you're entrusted with. Now, the truth is, Jesus could have launched into a theological discussion about the real razor-thin line that does exist theologically between belief and unbelief, salvation and being lost. But he doesn't do it. Now, that's an okay exercise, and sometimes it's very important to understand that absolute line to make sure you're in, on the right side of it. And Jesus wants you to be on the right side of it, but it's not what he's using here because he doesn't want anyone to go, oh, phew, I'm just on the, I'm just on the right side of that little thin line. What Jesus is calling us to is a sense of blessing. He's like, don't just make it across some theological line, I have, he, I have just wonderful things planned for you. Be a faithful servant and pursue that blessing. You see, everyone who's been entrusted with much, much will be required, but oh, rich blessing is available as well. And now I think we get that clarification for Peter. Well, Peter, I'm actually talking to everybody. I'm talking to two groups. Once again, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the disciples. The Pharisees have been entrusted with much, and they've absolutely wasted it. And with that will come harsh punishment. But disciples understand, I am entrusting you with much. And yes, that's responsibility, but that offers you so much into the future. So, so much. Greater assurance, greater peace, greater confidence, greater reward, greater blessing. Make sure you move. Why wouldn't you move towards that, Jesus says? Run, run towards that blessing. Live your life as my servants, Jesus would say, faithfully, and you'll be pursuing with, with a readiness, a readiness for his coming, and a readiness for our third motivation, and that is that he will reward you personally. Jesus takes this really personally. In John 14, he says, trust in God, trust also in me, right? Don't don't fear. I'm going, I'm, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back for you so that you can be with me. Do you see all that Jesus is doing? Do you see how much of it is about him that he's taking care of in regards to your future and to your eternity? He takes it so personally. Now let's go back to the first parable, the one about the servants whose master went to a wedding. Again, this was very familiar, right? The master, when will he return from the wedding? You need to be ready so when he knocks on the door, you can open it for him. But I left a little part out. I left a half a verse out. I don't know if any of you caught on to that. That's because when I eat a meal, I always, I don't know about you, but uh, my last bite is always whatever was best on my plate because I want my last bite to be the best thing. I've seen a few people nod at that. So I know I'm not completely, thank you very much. I'm not completely crazy. But anyway, that, that's how I eat a meal. That's what I think about a sermon too. Here's, 
Here's the absolutely stunning thing. So he tells this parable. This, I, I just hear the disciples going, yep, yep, that's how masters and servants work. Of course, he goes to the wedding. Well, the servants have got to be ready, you know. doesn't matter what time of night he gets back. And he goes on. He says it will be good for those servants who masters find them watching when he comes. Yep, that's how it works. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at the table. Whoa, Jesus, you got the... So I never graded English here or you know, whatever you're speaking. But you got the pronouns wrong. Truly, I tell you, they will dress themselves to serve, right? And, and we'll have him reclined at the table. That's what happens. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. And I could just imagine them going, okay, what planet are you living on, Jesus? That doesn't happen. You sound like you're suggesting that the master is going to be so happy he got back from the wedding, found his servants ready and waiting, that he got ready to serve them and had them recline at the table. That's not what you mean, is it, Jesus? And they're like, that doesn't happen on earth, Jesus. That's not how masters and servants work. I wondered if, uh, I don't know whether it was weeks or months later, as they're sitting in that room and, and this confusing parable that, you know, Peter tried. He's like, what? <laughs> Peter tried, couldn't get a straight answer, supposedly. If, if months later and they're sitting in that room and Jesus takes a towel, he wraps it around him, Self, and he begins to wash their feet. If maybe one of them went, you were talking about you? <laughs> that parable was, you were saying you were going to do that? That's amazing. And of course, this, this parable is a, probably a foreshadowing of of John 13 and him washing the feet. And, and that in itself was a picture of the next day at the cross when he would go and, and he would serve us by paying for our sins, our penalty. And the cross would be the thing that would enable him and give him the, the right to share his resurrection power so that when he comes, he, he will actually raise you physically And that he will grant you rewards. And that he will invite you into his eternal kingdom. He takes it personal. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is going to be between you and me. Between me and my servants. This is what I will do. (laughs) I will serve them. Where else does that happen? Nowhere on this planet except in Christ. You know, we spend a lot of time, and understandably so, in a harsh world being drugged down by troubles and trials and frustrations and difficulties and fears. And sometimes those so captivate our minds. It's hard to just get out of that sense. I want to close today 
by filling our minds with some different ideas. Some of the promises Jesus has made and portrayed about your future, if you are in a place of faith and trusting Christ for your future, then this is your future. Some verses, some selections from Revelation 21 and 22, so that this could be what captivates your minds today because believing when we are properly motivated by what Christ is doing and what God is up to, it is an easy choice to say every day, I will serve you. John saw a vision of us, of our future. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city. And his servants will serve him. His servants will serve him. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and when you come, may you find every one of us faithfully serving you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for writing our story.
Thank you. you. You knew every trial, every test, every struggle we face today, and yet you wrote an ending to our story that is so magnificent, we can hardly imagine it. But I pray you would captivate us with all that you are doing and all that you promise so that every day, whatever we face, the choice might come easier to us. Strengthen us for that so that every day we could rise and we could say, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Work in us that strengthening and that faithfulness and that service so that we could be found when Jesus returns as your loyal, faithful servants. Draw us to that place of blessing and strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.